All right, how's it going? You got a few people in the back looking for seats. You got front row spit zone up here. If you like, come on up and join us. My name's Josh. I'm the pastor here at Redemption North Mountain, and it's uh, exciting to be together with you. What a fun morning. I got my jacket on just to say the fall is here. I don't care if it's going to be 90 all week. We're doing this. Fall weather is here. We are in this countercultural series. If you're new to Redemption, this is going to be a different take on what a normal Sunday looks like. Normally, not all the time, but normally we open up a book of the Bible and we just camp out in it and we walk through the book until we're done and we ask God to speak through that book. This particular series is more of a topical. We're trying to think about the things in culture that are affecting culture, that are affecting us through culture, and have a stance as far as how the church should be different, feel different, act different than the culture at large. So today we have generosity which doesn't seem like something that's all that countercultural. Everybody loves generosity. There's nothing dramatic about that word. There's nothing controversial about being generous. If we were to have a generosity campaign and raise money for any number of initiatives or ministries or people in need or uh, people folks or marginalized groups, the world would be all about that. Except the church has a different motivation for generosity. The word generous actually means of noble birth. Nobody in the world has more noble of a birth than Christians, born-again believers. We are the children of God, saved by Jesus Christ, born again by his spirit. We are of noble birth. We are a generous bunch. And just practically in my life, when you say the word generous, if you were to say, hey, what, when you hear the word generous, what comes to mind? For me, it's usually one of my parents or honestly people in my church life that I've met along the way. I've met people outside the church that are generous, but by and large, when I've camped out in a church, when I've gotten committed to a church, whether it's in Peoria or Texas or Gilbert, Arizona or here in North Phoenix, the people I meet are some of the most generous folks ever. I remember when I was a young guy, just married, we were pregnant and we wanted to drive across the country. We were living in Fort Worth, Texas. We had a 1998 Honda Accord. We loved it. We thought it was great. The older folks at the church in Denton, Texas we were going to were like, eh, that seems problematic. So one of the guys said, hey, I just bought a brand new car take it. It's yours for as long as you need it. Go for it. And stuff like that has happened to me and a lot of you all the time. We had a guy here who was part of our core team who had a car issue. The men of this church back when it was a lot smaller than this said, hey, we need to help him with some money. I think we raised like five, six thousand dollars in a week to help him with his car. Why? Because we are a noble birth. We are a generous people. We get to talk about generosity today. And just so you know, I have a I'm a strange unicorn in the church world in that I don't have really any church, like, history that's negative. Like, all my church experience, I've been, like, blessed. I'm like the spoiled kid who gets getting past of grandparents that spoil him even more. I'm like, I've loved every church experience. And not everybody is coming from that. I get that. So oftentimes when the word generous or however a church may couch and say, hey, we're going to talk about money today, people kind of... <laughs> The door's opening. People are trying to sneak out the back. Just so you know, this church is in a great spot. We are teaching this because we planned on teaching this a year and a half ago. This is where it landed on the calendar. We are in no need. We are actually doing really, really well as a church. The core team is at 40 or so adults that helped launch this starting at the end of 2019, looking ahead to 2020, thinking, I think 2020 is going to be a great year. Let's do this. Raised a ton of money just with that core group. We have over $100,000 in savings already from their initial investment in this church as we think about future facilities and being able to be flexible. 
And then we start a church, and then people start giving. And every month, as you, we put this on here. My wife loves reading this. I don't really care, but she wants to see the giving. She'd like to see attendance on here. She just likes to see all that. But monthly giving, as you see, average monthly need is 22000 That's roughly $270,000 for an annual budget. And this church alone, people in this room are bringing in about $20,000 a month, which is way ahead of schedule for what redemption plans as they plan church plans. Like, that's phenomenal. So we're not, we're doing great. God has blessed you. God is blessing this church. God has blessed me through this church. That external giving there is redemption money that's being given by Redemption Church, as well as another church in the area, Desert Springs Bible, gives us a significant check every month for the next two years. Like, why? Because we're of noble birth. This is a fun message to teach. I am excited to teach this. There's only been one message where I've caught a lot of flack, and it's not been anything related to money. It was a passage out of Ephesians about stealing. Don't steal. And I was like, oh, most people aren't shoplifters. How do people steal? And I thought, oh, yeah, everybody's like borrowing each other's Netflix accounts. Let me say something about that. And it was like, oh, don't you ever <laughs> come after my parents' login account. That's my Hulu. That's my Peacock. That's my nephew. You burn them at the stake. But when I teach on money... People are mostly receptive. People want to be led in this area, and people want to grow in this area. So that's what we want to do is just talk through generosity, mainly through the lens of giving and finances. So let's bow and just ask the Spirit to rest and reside with us today. Holy Spirit, be here this morning. We have all sorts of stories in here. We have all sorts of backgrounds, and we have all sorts of current realities. So I pray this message would not add upon guilt. It would point to you, the giver of all things, the owner of all things, and the gracious Father that you are. And God, whatever you need to do by your Spirit, I pray that you do that with us this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so picking a passage. I picked this one because Corinthians is one of my favorite books just because the church is kind of a hot mess. So Paul's always jumped around talking about different things. But I just want to catch this up. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 there, I just want to speed us into the context of this story. So chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul kind of takes an aside and he starts talking about generosity. Here's the background. He's had this multi-year uh, financial initiative going on, mainly to help the, the poor saints in Jerusalem, most of them Jewish Christian converts. So we've got all these poor Christians in Jerusalem. Paul's the guy driving around, not driving around, walking around, taking horseback, getting around all over, and he's starting to gather money for the saints back in Jerusalem. And at the end of the first uh, letter of Corinthians, he says, and I'm doing this, and you guys can be a part of it. And the second letter kind of hints at the Corinthian church kind of dropped the ball. So he's re-picking up the conversation, and he's going to start to motivate them. He's like, hey, the church is at Macedonia. They weren't wealthy at all. They were actually impoverished more than you guys, and they gave above and beyond. And then, don't, don't you remember the grace of Jesus Christ? He was rich. He became poor for your sake. He's trying to motivate them onto goodness. Partly the boxes we have out there, for the, it'd be a similar thing. We've got this initiative we want. And he's not going to bring guilt or shame, or he's trying to say, hey, be a part of this. And then his summary statement is here in chapter 9, verse 6-7. I think it's his way to teach, say, this is what I mean. If I could boil all this down, here's what I want to say. So let's look at chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully 
will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The point is this. If you give, you're going to get a lot. But don't do it under compulsion. Decide what you're going to do. So we're just going to walk through Paul's words here, and we're going to kind of answer four questions. How do we give? Why do we give? And then we're going to land on what do we give as a church. So right here, how do we give? We see it right here in verse 6. How do we give? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That means not very much. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The first way we need to decide to give is bountifully. I know that's not a word we use in our common vernacular. It means in abundance. And he's not even giving all these sorts of spiritual threats. He's just making a common sense statement about how the, work, the world works. If a farmer sows a lot, more than likely he's going to reap a lot. If the financial advisor sows a lot, more than likely he's going to. If the parent sows a lot into the life of his kids, he's probably going to. Like just in general, that's how the more you give out and sow out and plant out, the more likely there is for return. So how should we give? We should give bountifully. You give a lot. How much is a lot? The word bountifully there actually is sort of the word blessing. So we'll get to kind of more specific stuff at t- towards the end of this message. But just, just know, give in a way that you know it's a blessing. Give in such a way where you're expecting blessing for whoever you're giving to, whatever you're giving to, and also for you. Give in a blessed sort of way. Give bountifully. The next thing we see, and verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I love that. The next thing is we give intentionally. We don't give haphazardly. We give intentionally. And just this from a church standpoint, he doesn't give a standard, hey, here's what the church at Corinth is going to be known for giving. Hey, church at Redemption North Mountain, here's how we give. Here's the amount we give. He, doesn't, he says, hey, Redemption Church North Mountain, hey, Redemption Corinth, decide in your heart how you're going to give. In other words, have a plan. What's your plan for giving? Some of us, it's a lot like my plan for tipping in restaurants. In every other place I go now, that requires or asks for a tip. Like everywhere you go, ask for a tip, and it's like, do I tip at Circle K? I guess she was sweet. Uh, and I come, my mom was a waitress my entire life, so I'm all about good tipping. But everybody's asking for a tip and a gift to an organization. Everyone. So, like, the way I walk around, I'm just confused all the time. Like, is this a 12% sort of venture? Is this a 15 I know, 20 and I was in California with a buddy who owned some microbreweries. And we're at a place where there was no server. It was like, you just, I want a sandwich. All right, here's your sandwich. And then how much tip? Well, I, I was like, what do you do in this situation? He's like, I always tip 25% no matter what. I'm like, you are crazy. No chance. I said, why? He's like, because I'm a restaurant. I know most of these people aren't making what they should. So it's my way to sort of like, hey. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. That's California's problem. But... <laughs> He had a plan. No matter where he went, 25%. I don't have a plan when I, I still am like, Zips was great, 22%, press coffee, a buck. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. 
But as you think about giving, being generous in the church and outside the church and for the poor and for needs, do you have a plan in place? Like, what is your plan? One guy says, here's how Americans think about giving, especially and often in the church. It's spontaneous, it's sporadic, and it's sparingly. And that's how I tip at restaurants. Not, I keep saying restaurants. You guys think I'm terrible. I love to tip at restaurants. It's all those other hybrid things that I don't know how to tip at. I'm spontaneous. I'm sporadic. I'm like, ah, whatever my gut says right now. I don't have a plan. He says, here's how we should think about giving, being generous. It should be priority. It's the first. The biblical language is first fruits. The American equivalent is gross income. First paycheck, first dollars. It's priority. It's a percentage. It's not just an amount. It's a percentage of what God has given you. And it's progressive. There's There's a hope to bring more and more into this equation. But each of us must decide in our own heart, how are we going to give? What's your giving plan? Again, I'm going to land the plane on some specifics. But just as you're thinking and you're asking the Spirit to be with you this morning, what is your giving plan? Next thing we see is we give cheerfully. Where do I see that? Same verse there. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. We are joyfully given. Now, here's the thing. I was convicted by this, not because I'm not joyful, but because I kind of put it off my mind. I just don't. It's like, ah, there's not like this joyful expectancy about my giving. He says, we should be joyfully giving, not under reluctance, not under compulsion. And as I stand here, I, I just know there's a lot of reasons why we would be reluctant or feel like we're under a compulsive order to give. Like, where's reluctancy come from? A lot of it's trust. Like, we don't give to people, businesses, organizations, churches that we don't trust. And how do you build trust? Time, relationship. But just know, I I love this church. This church has been going on for 30 years now. This church is a lot bigger than me and us as a church. This is a church worth trusting. Redemption Gilbert is the oldest congregation. It's been around 30 years. And they've been faithfully stewarding our finances for a long time. And then they brought in these other congregations and then started planting other congregations. And all these people that have been around doing faithful stewardship in ministry for a long time are now showing us new congregations. Here's what faithfulness looks like. And then here at this church, just know I don't have any say on money. I don't see money. I don't get to say, you know what I think? I think I earned a 15% raise this week. That's not how it works. We have a temporary board in place, and we have a guy on there, Dan Blackwell. He's in the Cardinals. If you have questions, go see him about Cardinals or finances. He's the guy kind of overseeing our finances. But as a church, we have these structures in place because we know men are sinful. Women are sinful. So staff doesn't handle any money. I don't handle any money. I don't see what anyone's giving. I don't trust my heart to, like, what it would do with that information. Like, that's a whole lot of behind-the-scenes information. So it's a, we have this beautiful church structure that is trustworthy. So I just want you to know, and that doesn't, like, seal the deal right away, but this is a good, trustworthy church organization. So that's the first thing. Why are you reluctant? Here's the other thing. You might feel under compulsion. This is how I feel in restaurants. 
like the person's like two feet from me. I'm like, <laughs> put it behind the hat. Like, and Paul is trying to eliminate that. Don't do it under compulsion. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to force anything on you. I'm going to offer some things. But this isn't under compulsion. Like part of what made the Protestant Reformation happen was this very thing. The Catholic Church forcing their way into people's lives through their finances. You must give so that this will happen in your life. And Luther and others said, that's not the way the church is supposed to be. Making people give out of compulsion. It's not to give out of compulsion. However you decide. That's what the Lord says. When we do marriage counseling, we talk with couples. There's certain hot button topics where you just, when you're in a heated moment, you can't talk about. In laws is one of them. Like anybody got in law issues? Raise your hand. Amen. We got some of that in here. Chris Smith, put your hand down. <laughs> but the way you talk about in law stuff is not in the heat of the moment. You kind of go, get some space, breathe a little, think about it, pray about it, vent about it, and then come back. Giving, deciding to give, deciding to be sacrificial with your finances is not something to do compulsively in the moment. You go, you think, you pray, you ask the Spirit to show you, and He will guide and direct, I promise. One of my favorite parables is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's been hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. That's the heart behind giving as a Christian. We have found the ultimate joy, the gospel, Jesus Christ, and part of following him, not only initially when we first put our faith in him, but ongoingly when life gets hard, when sin creeps in, when we start to doubt, when we start to fear, all these things kick. He says, give so that your heart may be in line with mine. Where your heart, where your money is, that's where your heart's going to be. So decide in your heart, how are you going to give? Now, none of those are necessary, all that countercultural. Well, this next section is hugely countercultural. Why do we give, Apostle Paul? What would you have us to know about giving? So why do we give? What do we see in these? Let's look at verse, the end of verse 7 here. I've got a few reasons as I've studied this text. Let's just read it all just to remind ourselves. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Why do we give? Here's the first one. We give because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I did a decent amount of research. I haven't exhausted the Bible, but I can't think of another time in the Bible where God says, God loves this behavior in a Christian. God loves a faithful husband. God loves a hardworking son. God, there may be, and if you find it, 
But this is interesting that God highlights a behavior of his children. God loves this in his kids. He loves a cheerful giver. What a good motivation. My second son got taken to the fair last night with friends. It was amazing because they paid for it all, and he comes home with like 15 stuffed animals. And the other boys are asleep. Roman gets home. He's like, show me this. Pikachu and all these stuffed animals. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he's going to give any to his brothers. That would make me so happy. Were you thinking you want to give any to, you know, sweet baby Ozzy? He's three. He just loves cuddly things. Nah, I think I'm going to keep them all. Good night, Dad. <laughs> now, he could be motivated by a lot of different ways in that moment. And he wasn't wrong. He earned all those. He hit whatever he was supposed to hit at the fair. But I think it's just interesting that there is something that God highlights. says, hey, I, just so you know, I love this. And you're all my children, and I love you all equally. And salvation is by grace alone because I loved you. So don't start playing that card. But just so you know, as I look out, I love it when I see cheerful giving. It brings a smile to my face. I read a biography of Eugene Peterson, and he has this reoccurring theme in there. He's, he's this pastor. He wrote the message, just a really great pastor, author, poet. But he says, I just want to be a saint. I just want to be a saint. I just want to be a saint. Another, I translate it, I just want to feel God's delight. I just want to feel God's delight. And here, God tells us how we can feel his delight. He loves a cheerful giver. We give because God loves cheerful giving. What's the second reason? We also give because God owns it all already, and he supplies it all. He owns it all, and he supplies it all. Where do I see that? Go to verse 10 with me. He, being God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He owns the seeds. He gives the seeds. And we could replace seeds with anything. He owns the homes. He owns the land. He owns the Bitcoin. He owns the stocks. He owns the he owns it all, and he wants to give it. He owns it all, and he wants to give it out. Exodus says, all the earth is mine, says the Lord. Deuteronomy says this, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the earth and all that's in it. God owns it all. Job says, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24, one of my favorites, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone who lives in it. So a distinctly countercultural mindset is God is the owner of it all. Like here's the way we ask about this. How much should I give to God? It's how I started asking the question as I was started to kind of take this stuff serious. How much should I give to God? A amount, a percentage, whatever. The question is how much of God's should I keep? Whether it's money or time, I think about the Sabbath. He's saying, hey, work really hard six, but just give me that one. A tithe. Hey, you're going to do great with 90. Just trust me with the 10. How much of God's money should we keep? Why? Because he owns it all. But he also gives it all. He's a generous God. Like, what's the most famous verse in all of Christianity? Somebody shout it out. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He's not hoarding. He's not keeping stuff to himself. He is a God who owns it all, and he is generous. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. He gives seed to the sower. He gives money to those who give. He gives, gives, gives. He's a giving God. And some of you, if you have generous parents, you have a level of trust that others maybe don't come with. Like as somebody asked me one time, when you think about stresses in your job as far as the church and the life of the church and the future of the church, like is money there? You know, because that's a big thing in church. And it's honestly not for me. Like not even a lick. And I think it's because personally I know if anything happens in my life, my dad's going to sell everything he has and fix my life for me and help me. And my mom's going to sell everything my stepdad has. <laughs> just kidding. But I've just realized, like, my parents on earth are going to take care of me. They've done it up to this point. They're going to, and my dad's not a, he owns a multi-hundred dollar corporation. <laughs> and Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he's like, what father among you would give bad gifts to your, none of you. And I have these really generous parents. And he says, how much more will your heavenly father give to you then? God's got it. He owns it. And he gives it away freely. He owns it and he wants to give it. That We just got to remember, how much more will God take care of us? Here's the next thing we see. We give because we want to see. This is where it starts to turn inward and kind of implicate us a little. We give because we want to see God's generosity in and through us. Let's just look at, here's kind of the, the reoccurring theme of this passage for Paul. Let's look at verse 6 real quick. We're going to read verse 6, verse 8, verse 10, and verse 11, and just pick up Paul's theme here. Verse 6 says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Jump down to verse 8. Still talking the same thing. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. What is God wanting us to hear through the Apostle Paul? Give so that you can see God's generosity in your own life, but also through your life for those around you. You will be enriched in every way. Sufficiency in all things, at all times. There will be nothing lacking if you give. It's like the faucets, like our generosity, we get to kind of choose how much water we let out. And God's going to do the work of supplying the water and using the water for his good. But we can choose to kind of turn that faucet all the way down or say, God, I, I trust you. I trust that these passages are true. I was in a consulting meeting one time with a guy who runs this big organization. He talked about building on islands of strength, meaning seeing people, teams, initiatives in his organization that were like really getting it and then being almost unfair in the amount of resources that he pushed that way that's God through the lens of generosity like he's not looking to be fair 
He's not trying to be a socialist God, spread it all out evenly. He wants everyone to have what they need, but he wants to give to those who are going to do well with what he gives. Namely, give out more. He's going to be generous with those who are generous. A couple passages, Proverbs 11 says this, There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds, and he results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap, for by the standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. How's God going to give to you? The amount, the, uh, the desire, the way you think about giving, he wants to funnel that into your life and through your life. That's the thing we don't get. In the book of Acts, they summarize Jesus' kind of life statement. He says, our Lord said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a lot of you believe that. But a lot of us struggle. Just so you know, like, generosity is not my spiritual gift. I remember taking multiple tests, and it's like the top gifts are always like teaching, leadership, yada, yada. And my bottom gifts are always the same, meaning these ones I don't have. Like, don't come to me for administration helps or mercy, sad, <laughs> or generosity. And I've retaken the test multiple times, like knowing I know what they're getting at here. And I'm trying to rig the system, and every time, generosity's at the bottom, mercy's at the bottom. So I'm not by nature generous. Some of you, by nature and by the Spirit of God, have this gift in you to be generous. God doesn't say you're the only ones. He says all of us. Look at them as an example, but all of us need to get in on this. Why? Because I want to give more to you and through you. Here's the next thing we see, verse 12, very quickly. We give because God meets needs through our giving. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Paul kind of gets back to the task at hand. There's these poor saints in Jerusalem, and you're providing ministry for them, resources for them, their needs for them. We give to meet needs. We give to meet needs. Part of this church plan is a desire to meet needs in this area. But also part of being a redemption church, a larger church, 10 congregations across the state, is being able to give in ways that goes beyond just our capacity as a little startup church family here. Like, I just want to give you a few highlights. During 2020, when everything was going on, there was some areas particularly hit very hard, especially churches. New York was one of them, especially in their sort of poor neighborhoods. And Redemption Church wrote a check for $500,000 to give to the churches in New York in 2020. And some of you came from Redemption Tempe or Arcadia. I came from Redemption Gateway. Your givings were part of that. That's our ability to bless beyond just our capacity in here. Your giving has helped start a new church in this area, a church I really like. <laughs> like, this doesn't happen without giving. And there's all sorts of ministry already happening. We have singles. We have marriage ministry. We have people that are in the middle of divorces, coming out of all sorts of ministry is already happening. And it's being ministered to through the people of this church because we have such generous people here. We've already started giving to some local outreach programs here as well, just as a church. Habitat for Humanity is just right down the road. I love their tagline. They said there's two types of homelessness, eternal and earthly, and we care about both of them. 
So it's a Christian organization providing transitional housing for people who are under hard times, and we're already giving to them. Habitat for Humanity, you know, is a big organization, but they're kind of zeroing in on this area, especially on the other side of this mountain here. I read in, I don't know if this is true, an article the other day, one out of seven new homes are being bought up, mostly by Wall Street. Whatever that means. Their point being, just normal Joe Schmoes and Susie Schmoes are having a harder and harder time buying homes, which we get. And Habitat for Humanity is trying to go into these kind of under-resourced neighborhoods and help people not lose their homes, remodel their homes, buy homes in these areas, so that home buying is not just an elite practice. And we're giving to Habitat for Humanity within the Sunny Slope initiative they're doing already. We've given to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. There's a guy, Octavius, who's just grinding it out at Sunny Slope High School and other schools in that area. On a campus, trying to bring Jesus to a bunch of high school athletes. That's happening because you guys are already giving. So you are meeting the needs through this church and through Redemption Church as whole. Here's the final reason we give. We give because God will be praised. Let's read verse 13. And verse 12 there, it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. And by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. God will be praised because of our generosity. Sometimes in ways we'll see and experience, but a lot of times in ways that are beyond us. Like, one of my favorite things to do as a husband is to send my wife texts that'll make her laugh. Because I picture she's got the most beautiful laugh, and whatever people are being blessed by her laugh right now because of my comedic ability. (laughs) And giving in the church is like that. We want to give, and we may be able to connect the dots all the time, but we give because people are going to praise God for the generosity. Like, Redemption Church, financially, if I had to pull it down, There's probably some people at Redemption Gilbert are the key part of why this is a viable, sustainable church. Some of them are gone to be with the Lord by now. But that church has been around 30 years, and they've been great stewards. Why? Because they know their giving was going to produce thanksgiving and praise and glory given to God. They didn't know how. They had no idea Redemption North Mountain, Redemption Flagstaff, Redemption Tucson would be a thing. But it is because people give, give, give to these things. We want God to be praised. I want my wife to laugh hard because of my comedy in her life. And I want people to praise God mightily because of our giving. That's why we give. And I want to land here. What do we actually give? Like, all right, tell me what to do. Well, you just said decide in your own. I meant that as well. But I remember the first time I was convicted by someone about money and my faith. And it was my dad. And he wasn't trying to be a jerk. He was sort of good parents. As your kids get older, you kind of have to do stuff shoulder to shoulder and just kind of mention stuff and hope they kind of listen to it. The face-to-face, like, directive is gone with. And I was probably 21, 22. And he said, at at what point do you think the passages about money apply to you, son? Is it it an age? And he kind of walked away. I'm like, What? It was his way to say, like, decide in your own heart. Figure this out. Because he'd been tithing since the day he got saved. Nobody told him to. It was just something happened. Check. I'm giving it to this place. 
He'd been given generously to other ministries and organizations. Been giving away cars since the day I met him. When do you think they apply to you? And here's what I realized. More and more, especially as we have younger people, people just don't know how to do this all the time. So this what is not like a this is the only way, but this is more like as a fellow Christian walking this life with you, this is how it's worked in my life. This is how it's worked in the life of this church. So I want to just show you kind of how we give as a church, just to give you a church kind of structure and then a personal structure, and then actually have a challenge I want to end on. So as you think about Redemption Church, here's kind of generally how you can think about the budget. We're not there yet because we're a baby and we're trying to get up on our feet. We're trying to walk on our own. But generally, 10% of our money goes to outward focus. When we're a fully sustaining church, 10% will go towards outward focus. That's the money that we sent to New York. That's the money we use for refugees here. That's the money we serve and church plant, plant churches worth. That's what started this church. 10% goes to outward focus. 10% goes to central operations, the ability to kind of have an HR and benefits and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that some people care about but everybody benefits from. That's 10%. And then generally, each congregation has about 80% then to do ministry on the ground with. But just so you know, that 10% outward focus, the way that's going to work, we don't have to give that now. The way Redemption Church, it's like a seven-year plan. Not until year five or so do we have to start giving to that. Although I just met with our CFO, and he says, you guys are on track to beat that. So congrats, you were doing it. I'm like, do we have to start giving that? (laughs) But we're doing great. But that 10%, then 30% comes back to the congregation to be on the ground, community and global ministry resources. So say $100,000, we get $3,000 of that to spend locally for every $100,000 we're spending. And then $7,000 of that goes to all of redemption to do bigger stuff. Not bigger like numbers, just more influence, more ability, church planning, all that stuff that a 100-person church plant can't do on its own. So that's in general. That's where we're aiming towards financially. That's kind of how the redemption church model works as far as giving. But here's where I want to spend most of my time is just how do we give as a family? Some of you are already giving, and you're going to be like, this is redundant, or this is interesting to kind of find out. But how do I start giving? When my dad asked, when do you think the passages apply to you? I had never thought about giving up to that point. And then I had to go and say, okay, well, what are the passages and what do they say? And I think this passage in Corinthians kind of summarizes it. God loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart, not under compulsion or reluctance, but start giving. Why? Because God blesses that, blesses you and blesses others. But specifically, give me a number. Like, tell me how to do this. So I just want to tell you, here's how we do this as a family is we think of a tithe, 10%, as the sort of floor of giving. So this church, whatever church we've been at, we start giving 10% of gross. And again, I'm, again, this is how we do it, because that's how I read first fruits. And I think God owns it all, and I want to give the first of them. So we have an automated giving. The first of the month, we get an amount sent to this church. That's 10% of our income. And then we try to start to progressively move up. I think we give about 12% now to the church. And my wife and I, it's always like, you know, I was a teacher before this, then a pastor, so it's not like we've ever owned a yacht or anything. So we're always kind of having to think through this stuff. But we always like, can we push it a little more in giving? We believe in these things. And kind of a gauge I have is my retirement. I give about 10, 11% to retirement. The church matches some. Like, I, I want my giving to look impressive next to what I'm giving to my future self. 
So that's how we think about it. And honestly, we don't think about all that. We think about the beginning of the year when you set our salary, figure out giving, and then we decide on it and we automate it. And that's how we do it. That's a way to do it. But I think 10% is a good sort of ground to start on. We also give to other organizations as we feel led. I was, became a Christian through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, so I, we've given to them for years. My wife loves this Bible study uh, organization she gives to them. But that, that's how we think about giving. Just it demystified a little bit. Like It's like, well, decide in my heart, is the Spirit going to land and give me a specific number? It's, he's never done that for me. But the Bible over and over again talks about first fruits, and this tithe thing comes up. It's not demanded in the New Testament. You know, Zacchaeus gets saved. He gives 50%. This poor widow gives two coins into there. And Jesus says to both. They decided to give, and they give, and great job. But that's how we give. We give 10% to this church because we believe in it. And now it's up to, I think, 12%. So here, a lot of you in this room are already giving. Again, this is where some of you are going to, I should have got out five minutes ago. I knew he was going to do this. But I just want to, as I watch the life of Jesus, he navigates this tension more beautifully than any human being because he's God and he's perfect and he's full of the spirit. But certain people need invitations. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened. I'll give you rest. Oftentimes, some people need challenges. Sell everything. You're not getting into the kingdom of heaven with all that stuff you're holding on to. And sometimes the same person needs both in the same day, in the same week. But I just want to offer a challenge for those of you that aren't giving anywhere. And if it's this church, great. If it's not, whatever you want to start giving to, think about giving. And something we've done at Redemption in the past that's fruit, proved fruitful for people is a tithe challenge. 90-day tithe challenge. Why 90 days? Because it actually sticks. The only diet that ever worked for me was a 90-day diet. It was terrible, but I lost 20 pounds. Why? Because I stuck with it for 90 days. So, again, this is very simple. If you want to be a part of this 90-day tie challenge, I just want you to sign this, leave your email here, and I'm going to send you resources starting tomorrow. I'm going to invite you to start giving 10% of your income. Again, here if you'd like or other places. Why? Because he can make you abound in all things, in every good work, all sufficiency. Not because of anything I can do or this church can do, but what God can do as you trust him in this area that is very hard to trust him with. He says give. So if you want to be a part of this Ties Challenge, again, 90 days takes us to the very beginning of the year. So you're thinking holiday season, first week of January, this is over. We're going to share stories and talk about how God showed up in our life when we decided to take this a little more serious in our faith walk. So 90-day Ties Challenge, if you want to be a part of this, sign up there. I want to end on this verse 15, though, just to say how Paul ends. Verse 15 says this. And I think this is beautiful because it could apply to so many things. Salvation, the actual giving talked about. But verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gifts. And that word inexpressible is nowhere used in any other Greek literature. It's the only time it's used here. It's almost like Paul is making up a word to express his gratitude for God's goodness in his life. God, thank you. Inexpressible. And that's how I feel as a follower of Jesus, as a pastor of a church that believes these verses to be true, that wants to commit to giving and being a part of what God is doing. God, thank you 
for this inexpressible gift. You give, you give, you give, and you keep giving. And we want to be a church that is counterculture in a world that is hoarding and thinking that there's a finite amount of resources. We want to be people that trust that we have an infinite God who has infinite resources and can bless all the people that take him serious in this area. So let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your generosity, for your example of generosity. And God, thank you just for how you lead us. Even as I read this passage, I'm constantly enthralled with how well the Apostle Paul motivates and encourages, not using guilt, not using shame, using the grace of God and the goodness of God and the generosity of God. So God, help us to be a church that is motivated primarily by those things. We can't earn your favor. We never have. We never will. But we can do stuff that we know you love, and you love a cheerful giver. So God, help us to believe these truths more. Help us to just have your face, your countenance, your disposition on our mind more as we make decisions. In the area of finances, for sure, but in all areas. Religion often can kind of get disconnected from the person. And God, we, are, we, we follow a person. We follow Jesus. Help us to experience his smile in this area. Help us to experience your smile, Father. And God, for those in this room that have a variety of things going on, I pray that they would feel comfortable in this church and known enough to be able to come and express those so that even this passage where we could meet the needs of our brothers and sisters could happen and will continue to happen even in here. So Jesus, we love you. Thanks for this morning together. Amen.